The Free for All Roundtable. Round two. Round two. Say good morning to Robert Benzie, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Richard Krause, host of the podcast Last Call with Richard Krause. And Sunira Chaudhry is an employment lawyer at Workley Law. Happy Tuesday to everybody, although there is considerable unhappiness with the idea that Stellantis is going to bring 1,600 workers from Korea in order to get that battery plant started. Uh, a lot of this centers around Queen's Park, so let me start with the Queen's Park correspondent. Robert Benzi. John, I think there's a lot of misinformation around this story, uh, not in my paper, gladly, but a lot of other outlets, unfortunately. And I think the problem stems from a tweet last week that Windsor police said they'll be welcoming 1,600 Koreans. Uh, there was a Korean delegation in Windsor, and I guess someone in that delegation told the Windsor police that there would be some people coming to help set up this plant. There's not going to be 1,600 Korean workers at this plant. That's absurd. There are going to be hundreds, I think, uh, who are going to come temporarily to help set up the, the proprietary technology, and then they're going to hand it over to the 2,500 Ontarians who are going to get these jobs. But unfortunately, due to the Nexstar's poor communications, Stellantis's communications, and frankly, a lot of broken telephone from the federal government and the provincial government. Everyone thinks it's, all these jobs are going to Koreans. That is not the case as we understand it at all. Uh, these folks are just there to help set up the plant and then they will go. So does Stellantis have to prove that these, there are no available workers to do the work that these people being brought into the country will do? No, but John, this is like uh, when Toyota started a factory in Cambridge, they had people come from Japan to teach the systems, to, uh, to install the equipment. I mean, it's not unusual. And the same thing's going to happen in Volkswagen in St. Thomas when they come to set up that EV plant. So the idea that Canadian tax dollars are going to fund foreign workers to get permanent jobs here is, is just not true. And, it, and I understand the attraction from opposition parties and the governments in Queen's Park and in, in Ottawa have not been very effective at, at shutting this down. But it's it's it, it, I mean, first of all, we also do have a job uh, glut in Ontario. There's 380,000 unfilled jobs. So we don't really have jobs to give out to anybody. Uh, we have I guess we theoretically we have jobs, too many jobs out there. So I guess we theoretically could. But this is not what's happening in this case. Okay, so Richard Krause, I've always said context is the ultimate outrage killer. Do you feel better after having listened to Robert Benzie? <laughs> well, that's kind of what I understood from the story to begin with. But I understand how uh, in the era of Twitter, when you know you're trying to get messages across very quickly, you just splash a, a number like 1,600 foreign workers coming in. We gave them billions of dollars to set it up, and all of a sudden, you've manufactured outrage. And that's just the way that the world works now. Nuance isn't part of the conversation so very often. So Robert explains it in a calm, cool, and collected way. And it makes sense. Twitter and the way that this story has been bouncing around social media, getting people riled up, isn't uh, the, the the way to, to do it, isn't the way to get your news. Okay, Sonera, I think it's still going to come back to, are the people who are coming into the country genuinely people who, you know, we couldn't have somebody here doing that work. And I get it. I was using the example earlier in the show of how we used to sell can-do reactors, and then we'd send Canadians over to set them up. Sure, John. But I, and I think part of this issue is about transparency. I, I think my fellow panelists have sort of pointed to that, like the contracts that um, th that are being struck here, they should be 
uh, made public. Canadians have a right to expect that these jobs will be offered at home first. I think that is uh, th- that's a reasonable expectation. But on the flip side, we know there's a chronic lab- a labor shortage. Uh, Benzie just pointed to it in this country. Immigration, for the most part, will be will have to step in to serve that, especially in the highly technical fields. And these are very technical positions. But temporary workers, frankly, they're not the solution. Hiring people that are highly skilled, that will permanently move to Canada, pay taxes in Canada, support our country's growth, that is what we actually need. So temporary workers, even if it's 1,600, I mean, really what, what, what we need to be doing as a country is attracting highly skilled people to move here permanently, pay taxes, and help build the infrastructure here. So Bad Boy Furniture is beginning its uh, bankruptcy sale, although some people are still predicting they may stay in business. And, you know, Richard Krauss, it kind of dovetails with the interview I just did, the Rosedale Diner. There are a lot of mm-hmm. sort of cultural aspects to this city in retail and restauranting and stuff like that. And eventually they close the door and that's it. Yeah, I'm. listen, I haven't shopped at Bad Boys. I don't think so anyway. Uh, and uh, I, I am sad to see it go, though. Part of, you know, the kind of Toronto vibe that you used to get in this city was the uh, last minute Bad Boys, nobody ads that were all over the television and radio and Sam the Record Man and Honest Ed. There were these characters that seemed to dominate uh, Toronto retail and they were visible and uh they were they they really added i think a lot of flavor to the city and it's sad to see them go one by one and the rosedale diner is another one of these places these legacy places that have been there for 40 years or more uh that won't be there anymore and i think it diminishes the city just a little bit every time one of these places goes and sonera it's the end of that cultural phenomenon that dominated for about 50 years where any person who sold furniture would market themselves as being crazy But I I can't, I mean, my childhood was just, of course, you know, the bad boy commercials were, you probably saw them 10, 15 times a day. And so, of course, it's something that everybody who grew up in and around Toronto GTA would remember. But I think to Richard's point, I don't know how many people shop there. I don't think it was on anyone's radar in the last couple of decades in terms of, I need a new couch. Let me go over to bad boy. I don't think that was you know, really part of the the conversation when recently for sure. So, I mean, of course, it's sad to to see them go. But I mean, relevance, I guess, is is king these days. Yeah, Robert Benzie, it is a bit like when they cancel the TV show because nobody's watching. I mean, if this was still part of the fabric of Toronto, then you'd think they'd be doing a bigger business. Well, I mean, it's, this is a, a, and in full disclosure, Bad Boy is, a, is an advertiser in my newspaper, so I, I, I want them to succeed and, <laughs> and survive. And also, I mean, I, I used to cover Mal Lassman when he was the mayor of Toronto, and some of the most interesting conversations that I would have with him would be when he was t- talking about the business. And he, I, he, he was very, very interesting to talk about how he started. He used to follow ice trucks around uh, and sell fridges to people who didn't have who had ice boxes and and he would follow the the trucks if they were dropping off slabs of ice in the 1940s and 50s he would go and sell them a fridge and, and find a way to, that they could afford that fridge through you know uh buying to lease kind of things rent to own that kind of stuff 
And it, I mean, it was it was a really interesting time in Toronto. He did say one thing to the, that has always stayed with me, uh, John. He said, "Broadloom, stay away from Broadloom. It's a terrible business to get into." So I, that's why I stuck to journalism and never got into Broadloom. <laughs> okay, I always remember knowing uh, one of the guys from. It's now out of business, but it was a Broadloom company, and he whispered to me that he had actually installed seven-inch purple shag at Prince's house. So we all, wow. we all have broadloom stories, I guess. Uh, Marcus G. writing an interesting feature today in the Globe and Mail, and it's about London, Ontario's strategy when it comes to encampments. And effectively, it's to offer them almost uh, infrastructure, you know, garbage removal, uh, means of staying warm. The city's actually installed porta-potties. And Sunira, this is represented as sort of the, the same philosophy as harm reduction when it comes to drug use, that if people are going to live in a park, then you might as will make it a little bit more, um, you know, less messy and more usable. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I struggle with this one, John, especially, you know, we don't live in a warmer climate. I think London, Ontario, uh, when we think about how harsh the winters can be with all the snow, uh, the very cold, frigid nights, to suggest that porta-potties and maybe a place to wash your hands, uh, having some warming centers is going to uh, simply put a band it's like putting a band-aid on you know a, a bullet wound in, in my mind I think it's it, it it might read well at first it might be buzzy to say we're we're going to um, respond to this crises with hospitality this isn't hospitality this is uh, in my mind perhaps a much cheaper and short-sighted solution or potential solution to a much broader bigger problem um and i don't know that london as a city would want to deal with this issue in this way because it's it's certainly not something that will help to eradicate and or really dive into the issues of poverty whatsoever so i really struggle with this story and this potential solution well robert benzie one word that uh, skeptics are using is uh, normalization that this normalizes the idea that people are are going to live in tents in public parks. Exactly, John. And look, I know London well. My, I went to Western and my kids went to Western. My one son is still there. And London has changed a lot since I went there in the 1980s and not for the better. And there has been a normalization of of uh, um, uh, opioid use and uh, things like that. And this is a tough situation. And scenario is, re- is bang on. You cannot... I mean, I understand the good intentions of people who want to help people living in tents, but the you want to, the real way to help them is to get them out of tents and into shelter uh, and into proper housing. It's not to uh, you know put porta potties beside their tents and to make the parks uh, be unsafe or unfit for everyone else. I mean, we have the same problem in Toronto. Allen Gardens. Yeah, I love when I love that everyone at City Hall is talking about. Oh, we need to save Ontario Place. How about you get on? T- how about you get Allen Gardens? Figure out mm. the parks you actually have, and then you can work about Ontario Place. I mean, it's unbelievable to me that, that th- things like this are indulged in, in in big cities. It's not a permanent solution. We need to help people. We don't. We're not helping them by letting them live live in the park. And we had the same situation near my house in Trinity Bellwoods Park a few years ago. And you know, people and when the the twenty people who were there with their eighty five structures finally left, it was uh, you know it was a, it was good news despite what a few people on Twitter seemed to say. It was actually something that was encouraged by the community because no one wants to see people living in their park when they should be in appropriate shelter. Yeah, and Richard Krause, you live more or less in the neighborhood of Allen Gardens, mm-hmm. and I was walking past it the other day, and I thought, this is not normal. Like, this is, this is a park. 
Yeah, and uh, there's a number of parks in and around where I live. Uh, Allen Garden is the biggest one, but there's a number of smaller ones that uh, over the last few years have turned into encampments and uh, and then the tents were taken away and then they'd pop up again. Now it seems like they're taken away. Allen Garden is still there. Um, but I agree with uh, both Robert and uh, Sanira. This is a Band-Aid solution uh, for something that is a systemic problem. And I think that uh, providing the short-term things that people living in tents need, garbage disposal, all that kind of thing, uh, will perhaps get them through this winter. But what happens next winter and what happens the winter after that? Until we start coming up with more permanent solutions, more permanent ways to get people out of tents and into uh, housing, uh, this is going to be uh, an ongoing problem and will never end. And the homeless situation has only gotten worse over the last number of years. And so we need to do something now more than just offering garbage removal and places to wash your hands and, and things. We need real solutions, and this isn't it. Thank you all very much. Great to have you this morning. That's Richard Krause, Robert Benzie, and Sanira Chaudhary. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.